0: This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio.
1: Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a R film criticism show and podcast. My name is Lisa Kovacevic. Joining me tonight is Cerise Howard, Emma Westwood and Sally Christie. hello. 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 And we haven't all. seen
2: you for a while, Lisa. I'm back.
1: I'm back and I've got a lurgy. Uh. A sexy lurgy, as discussed. <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> I don't know about that. We'll see how the show pans out and how the microphone looks by the end of the show. <laughs> oh, <laughs> dear. Uh, dear. Oh, sorry. I've set a bad tone already. Um, <laughs> on tonight's show, Joaquin Phoenix plays Jesus. Harvey Weinstein used to think he's God but doesn't get a release and we review an allegedly un-Australian Australian film. Or to put it more simply... Mary Magdalene gets a historical revision in the biblical biopic Mary Magdalene. Australian pop culture gets a reworking in Terra and American indie thriller The Endless takes us on a mind-bending narrative loop. Um, but first, I think we'll start with Mary Magdalene. It's... Um the biblical biopic from Australian director Garth Davis whose previous Oscar nominated film Lion became one of the highest grossing Australian films of all time. Mary Magdalene tells the story of biblical figure Mary played here by Rooney Mara who some may recognize from David Fincher's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I didn't even check that but that's right isn't it? Yes. She was in the girl. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, she was. She was also in Lion as well. Yes, she was. Mm. Um, constricted by the hierarchies of the day, Mary defies her traditional family who intend to marry her off but seeking an, an Seeking an alternative life, Mary joins a new social movement led by the rabbi Jesus of Nazareth, played here by Joaquin Phoenix. Travelling with Jesus and his disciples, they spread the word of God throughout the villages and townships ravaged by the Romans till they reach Jerusalem. Written by Helen Edmondson and Philippa Gosslet, Mary Magdalene is the last film to be backed by Harvey Weinstein's company. As it stands, the film does not have a US release. The Weinstein Company, its distributor, announced it would declare bankruptcy following the multiple sexual harassment allegations against its founder Harvey Weinstein which unless you've been living under a rock without internet you would know spawned the hashtag me Too movement and given that this is a female-led film that aims to reposition Mary as a key apostle not the mm-hmm. prostitute the Catholic Church had positioned her as for centuries its release is somewhat ironic I thought in the wake of the sexual harassment scandal that's besieged Weinstein and Hollywood I don't know what did you guys make of this biblical retelling and its attempt to perhaps perhaps right a historical wrong?
2: Yeah, that is, um, it is ironic really, isn't it? It it, is. It really shows, it it kind of places Jesus as the first male feminist really. It does, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Or as much as we see in cinema, the first male feminist. But um, this film, uh, the the only reviews I've seen, and I have to admit, I don't read stuff heavily before I get on this show because I don't want to be influenced, but I, I had heard some things and they tend to be largely negative Mm -hmm. Um, So when I saw it, I was kind of surprised because I thought it, it really, it met its brief very well let's say, Uh, I don't know what anyone else was expecting from it. It felt like a really um, well-paced, well-structured narrative. Um, I don't know whether people were expecting the Mary Magdalena's prostitute, you know, more interesting, Mm. (laughs) you know, dramatically interesting narrative or whatever. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I actually, you know, it's it's. It's a biblical story, you know. What what else can you kind of expect from it?
0: I don't know. I kind of felt for me it, it looked beautiful. It did. Mm. It was shot gorgeously. It looked really beautiful. I also liked the costuming a lot. I liked all their sort of different colours. and. Do you layers. like their, their robes? I, I did. Their peasant I, robes. <laughs> I did. I liked all the different textures <laughs> with the linen and things like that. I thought it was really well done. But um, I thought Mary looked like she hadn't spent a day roughing it At all, she was too porcelain and perfect. She was very ethereal, wasn't she? Yeah. And it was going back to the Weinstein stuff that I saw that um, Garth Davis saying about how this is a really important film for the Me Too movement. And um, yeah, I think it is very ironic that you know it's come from Harvey and you know all that sort of thing with it. But overall, I found this very. Uninteresting. Yeah, I,
2: I yeah. think.
1: I, I think for me, the I, could, I don't think it was a bad film. I don't think it really deserves all the scathing no. reviews it's been getting. That said, I think the biggest problem for me was the lack of context. I think it relies on you having to, a lot of knowledge of this biblical story, and so nothing is really explained at all. And and I know, like the political climate at the time, I felt wasn't really re- revealed or explored to us and I think that would have helped me engage with the story more. What did you think, uh, I'm sorry.
3: Yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's just so dreadfully earnest mm. and um, I, I'm not one to whom biblical stories are ever going to really speak. They, um,
2: Well, I'm, I, I, I'm the same, yeah. so, you know. short
3: Short of including some high camp theatrics and, and retro special effects. I, I can go back and watch Cecil Beta mills Biblical Epics and, and have quite a time, uh, a Samson and Delilah or a Ten Commandments here. They are, these are good times. The King of Kings, <laughs> yeah. that's not one of Cecil's I don't think. Uh, but but really this sort of film. Uh,
2: you like a parting of the Red Sea, I don't do. you? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> are, we, are we still
3: talking about cinema? <laughs>
0: I don't know. So you yeah. tell me. <laughs>
1: oh, <dear>. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, uh, I did not. I didn't n- not enjoy the film. I just wasn't especially moved by it. I thought it really didn't need to be made. This uh, an attempt to rehabilitate Mary Magdalene's character is kind of unnecessary, given that apparently the Catholic Church just did that. So the caption at the end of the film told me. Mm, mm. Um, I thought, okay, great, um, <laughs> and I, I don't really feel I'm any the, the yeah. better or wiser for having seen this film. And um, yeah, I, I didn't have any real sense of tension throughout. I kind of know what was going to happen to Jesus. It wasn't really <laughs> <laughs>
1: spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. the thing. It
2: can't. Yeah. It can't really rely on that. I think it did. Um I I, will, I would never have seen it. Let's put it that way. Mm. That's probably why I, I was going in thinking okay. To be
1: honest, I wouldn't have seen it based on the promo poster. Like seeing Joaquin Phoenix as Jesus, <laughs> I think is hilarious. Yeah, but, so but see, I thought
2: he was so well cast did because you? yeah, yeah, he has that enough of an element of crazy that I think Jesus would have had. But course, he was, you think too, about yeah. it, he needed mm, yep. Jesus would have had a touch of crazy. Yeah,
1: he would have had a touch of crazy, but this was no. there, he hadn't no gravitas and I just thought he needed to have, like if you're going to be some sort of leader, like why was she drawn to him? You know, he was sort of fumbling around the (laughs) I
2: thought, thought, no, I thought he was quite commanding Um, (laughs) what I did uh, I thought that he was, a lot of leaders today could take um, something from him because he doesn't micromanage, I like that Mm -hmm. everyone sort of did did their own thing and he kind of allowed everyone to speak for themselves, but I think that Joaquin Phoenix is like the guy to play Jesus. I liked him as yeah, Jesus yeah. Too. I thought all
0: the performances in it were really good. Um, but and, yeah,
2: yeah Rooney, Rooney Mara, like you said, Sally, was. Um, she's just so sort of doe-eyed and winsome and, you know, uh, but she's not realistic in the context of what she would have been like, uh, yet she looks so saintly on, on mm. film. So I think that was part of the motivation. Mm. I mean the big sell on this was really the the location shooting which was I really wanted to wait for the credits to see where they shot it and it was shot in Naples and Sicily I believe so yeah, it, it was in beautiful. Italy. Yeah. It mm. yeah
3: stunning beautiful. locations. But I have a problem with a film which is called Mary Magdalene and it's supposedly about her but ultimately it's about her bearing witness to someone more important. I don't think it's that big <laughs> yeah. a bigger moment in uh, feminist biblical storytelling and really that that was the final theft. yes she's been brought back into the, the bosom of the church and now acknowledged as somebody who bore witness to something before anyone else did. I mean, mm. Wow. Um, yeah. But she's not that's, a
2: she's not uh, a prostitute. I mean that's the thing that's been you know. But what's so bad amazing.
3: about that exactly. anyway? Yeah, let's yeah. let's I not demonise sex workers either. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I, I I don't really feel that uh, I didn't come out of the cinema feeling triumphant, going yes, she's rehabilitated, she's won back her place in the Pantheon. Uh, uh.
2: <laughs>
1: no, I agree with you. Like her only motivation in the film was oh, I don't want to marry a man, which was sort of set up at the beginning of the film. I want to follow this man on his journey, and I thought why couldn't she have been motivated by something else, something greater than, than because that? Because that's
2: what not what happened, Lisa.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It could have been, but well, do we know what happened? Like, we're well, always rewriting this biblical text. You know. Apparently, there's text that says this, but there was no, because there were some interesting things there. Like, she starts off, she's uh, like a, not a, what would you, she, she's, she was she's like helping, a give, she's like a midwife, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is an interesting sort of symbolically, is it's a time at the, the birth of Christianity, and she's the midwife, and that's kind of interesting. Mm. Um, and I thought, and there was there were moments where she's sort of helping the poor. And I thought she could have been motivated by her own sort of desire to, to to help liberate the women, but it was but it was to follow this man, and I
2: just thought that that was a bit weak. I, I think that, know. but she was the only the only female, so she was she had a lot to you know rise up against. Yeah. See, they said what was it um, a Ejiofor's character, where he's he was Peter, I think, and he said. Um, she will she will um, part us or something like that. She will divide us or mm. something, word like that. So she was kind of, she had to, well, it was a time of great oppression, let's just say, Lisa. <laughs> so yeah, sure, yes, sure. There sure. were probably not many women leaders. But she, um, I, I don't know about you guys, but at the start I found it really hard to understand what was going on. Yeah. And I actually felt a little confused. So I don't know. I felt like there might have been more going on there about her, um, So, uh, like, why her family was so distressed with her, or anything like stuff like that. But But it was just because she didn't. It's it's just because Mm. she didn't want to get married. Was that all? I think. Yeah, but they, I they felt basically a bit lost wanted to drown her. Too. Yeah,
0: and I don't know if I thought maybe what Lisa was saying before. My knowledge of biblical stories isn't that strong, mm. so I felt a bit lost because of mm. I thought possibly I put it down to that. They, prob- they probably did pitch it well. They probably
2: did it in that way because they thought the only people who are going to go and see this, yeah, are the ones that are going to be interested church in church goers anyway. Maybe. Biblical stories. You yeah. that Garth
0: yeah. Davis isn't re- um, religious at all.
1: No, and Australia as a country. I yeah. know this is sort of a, an American film, but Australia as a country is so secular. It's, it's, a, it's sort of remarkable that was his second <clears throat> film following Lion. I thought that too. Yeah, look, it's, it's not a bad film, but it's... <clears throat> I actually found it a little bit dull, but for me it was just that lack of context. And Like you, Sally, I didn't have that knowledge, and afterwards I'd sort of started to read up a little bit on this stuff, and then I got more from it. The yeah. fact that they, at the start of the film, um, they are sort of... Um, ba- well, you said drowning, I think, Emma, <laughs> but they're not. They're, they're trying to rid her of devils. Yes, yes. yes. Um, yeah, it's an exorcism. Mm. And, yeah. and that actually comes from... Um, a story about a Mary in the Bible, and there are many Mary, Marys in the Bible, which is so mm. confusing. Um, where it sort of says that Mary Magdalene um, was was had many possessions, was possessed by several demons, and that had been interpreted over time as being that she was, you know, a prostitute of sorts. But but um, this film is trying to say the demons were um, her desire to escape um, mm. marriage and tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there's all these little subtle things that happen in this film that yeah, without context you don't really you know have no point of reference and i think that's sort of for me where the film lacks the most but even just politically what was happening you know in galilee at that time and um and then other characters the peripheral characters like judas uh, their their motivation was just sort of skimmed over the surface you know why do, couldn't we have delved a little so i just didn't care, <laughs> I just didn't yeah. care. at least though
3: they weren't all white
1: Yes, nice. that's yeah, true. Yeah, that was true, an yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, that's true. Well done. Yeah. Well yeah. done. exactly. Yeah. That's what you, you feel like saying. That's a takeaway from the film. Well, it was well, well done. done. It was <laughs> earnest. They got some things right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think also he probably um, is suffering from what Variety magazine like to call the sophomore. Oh, yeah, the sophomore feature, yeah. which is because Lyme was so incredibly hyped, and mm-hmm. you know it is a it is a lovely movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, he it, it was always going to be battling, you know, an uphill battle with this... As his second follow-up film. Mm, mm. And I just didn't. It was p- a strange choice. It was it a was strange, strange choice. choice yeah, yeah. I just wanted
1: to run I did not appreciate mm-hmm. the American accents. I just I could not get past it with Joaquim. But what is Res Am- accent? Oh, that was anyway. all over the shop. It was all over the shop. But her yeah.
2: accent is <laughs> it's the most intriguing accent. Yeah. And I thought that it was I didn't mind that. It was more Joaquim
1: is yeah. just uh, I don't know, an American <laughs> Jesus. I was just like, oh come on,
0: I can't. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia.
1: Terran Nullius, a political revenge fable in three acts, is as much an artwork as it is a film. The 55-minute so-called documentary meets speculative fiction is a unique exercise in collage filmmaking and is currently screening daily at Acme. Terra Nullius is created by the Sydney duo Soda Jerk, comprising Australian born sisters Dominique and Dan Angeloro. Their archival practice takes the form of films, video installations, cut up texts and lecture performances. Now based in New York, their work has been exhibited in galleries. Cinemas, torrent sites, and institutions across the globe. This film is a collage of archival footage from Australian pop culture, our political landscape, and film history. It cleverly superimposes iconic Australian characters into new contexts, creating a landscape where Pauline Hanson resides with Mad Max bikey gangs (laughs) and rewriting our mythological narratives that see a misogynistic crocodile Dundee eaten by a crocodile and bicentenary celebrations are ravaged by (laughs) flesh-eating sheep who leave Shane Warne and Dame Edna among the carnage. It's a reworking that attempts to make a radical critique of, amongst other things, Australian masculinity, refugee policy, Australian history and our treatment of our First Nations... First australian sorry themes that um should probably be at home in the contemporary art world, but not the Ian Potter Cultural Trust. On the eve of the Terra Nullius premiere at Acme, the Trust withdrew its support, providing a written statement that it, and I quote, no longer wanted to be associated with the marketing and publicity promoting the artwork, which it had spent 100 grand on, I might add, um, deeming the work very controversial. Surely they were expecting that when they invested in the project, though I, I, I do question that. Anyway, such an odd reaction from a major th- philanthropic um, um, organisation, um, uh, although it's potentially helped promote the film. Um, what did you guys make of no, it's it? It's
3: massively helped promote yeah. the film <laughs> yeah, and I think it's a huge blessing for mm. ACME too, which is, uh, which is doing right by the artist, by Soda Jerk, and keeping this running on the hour, every, every hour. hour, yeah, during uh, at least daytime hours, not uh, business hours um, at ACME, Ah, uh, but they have this controversy. It's absurd.
0: It's very. I mean, they've parted
3: the money as well. I
0: know. Really, really? Yeah, that's it's what it's, I thought too. They've yeah. given them the money. They've so you know, a <laughs> hundred grand no less. Yeah, well, mm. we, well,
2: I was talking with um, Faith, our podcast editor. Yes. Um. Beforehand, and she suspects that it was maybe maybe on purpose oh oh really look well, it doesn't make sense does it well it's but a, then why would the Ian potter do that it would sort of backlash a, well, on them well there'll terms be a board
3: there and there'll be some very conservative older members on um, that board and some mm. of them are probably mates with somebody who might get massacred in the course of this rather <laughs> enjoyable collage epic even though everyone's 55 minutes but there's an awful lot of material crammed in there,
2: there but is. is there anything that's really that well, not, not, not to our <laughs>
3: sensibilities, but let's say you're matey with somebody who is a recent prime minister. Yeah, yeah, you might, yeah, you might encounter a little bit of blowback there. <laughs> I, I had someone blame?
0: say to me that they could see why Ian Potter. Um, Pulled away from it, yeah. personally, like you were saying, Teresa, I, I, I can't. think it's preposterous. Like, no. but um, yeah, I had somebody crazy. say to me that they could see why they would make that. I think that that's decision. crazy yeah.
1: in it itself. It's like, it's a, a self inflicted PR wound yes. on the Ian Potter Foundation, though. I don't I don't know why you would do that. Like you said, Emma, so late in the game, it can it can yeah. only do bad things to the foundation I'd, because the film yeah. is setting out to critique institutions like that that <laughs> are sort of uh, you know um, complicit.
2: Absolutely, in yeah. certain
3: ideological directions Australia has gone well, and ever since the first fleet arrived.
0: Yes, exactly.
3: Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> it, what What actually surprised me the most about this film is how actually Australasian it is rather than merely Australian. Yes, As well as that... That's what I was a thinking. A lot of the first imagery in this is whilst being associated very... Directly with Australian cinema, the first couple of films featured in it, in terms of uh, footage taken, are from European directors. So we see *Waken*. Actually, it's not European. Ted Koch if He was Canadian. Canadian Wake and *Fright* yeah. to start mm. with, um, and then uh, oh, well, *Walkabout*. Ha- Nicholas Rogue.
2: and *Road Games* with Stacey Keach. Yeah, on yeah. The so suddenly then, we're,
3: yeah. we're getting already actually getting an outsider's look at Australiana, which is immediately interesting. There's all sorts of New Zealand stuff in yeah, the I mix. Yeah, i noticed there's a huge so, so, amount of those New Zealand sheep,
0: sheep, content. Yeah. <laughs> those yeah. killer sheep yeah. from yeah, black, black sheep. sheep. yeah. Mm.
3: And there's a lot of other New the Zealand. Piano? Yeah, the pianos, heavenly, heavenly creatures. creatures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and I thought this is a bit peculiar, especially as that country across the ditch from whence I, um, well, I'm yeah. here now, but <laughs> from whence <laughs> back in the day um, has, has made a rather better job of reconciling colonisation with its first People's, so But a lot of the, the thesis of, of this film is that Australia's got a long way to go, To uh, as we know. Was, I
2: think there was a mistake putting uh, New Zealand footage in well, there. Well, I
3: found it a bit confusing because yeah, the terra nullius thing is a very direct uh, uh, um, reference. reference to... Australia, very specifically, yeah. and, and
2: brokeback um, broke Mountain was one of the things in there too, yeah. which is not
3: even well an Australian actor, just an Australian actor, but, yeah. Z- but
2: yeah. really, no, that was drawing a long bow. I felt there were the, there were a few things thing like picture. that that I thought. I mean, it was really enjoyable hearing <laughs> the bicentennial song again and the Skippy footage. I mean, you know, it's got kind of an obvious one, but it was worked well. Well, Skippy got woke. It was awesome. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I found I, I, I liked it in the credits. It was actually... And I, was the whole thing cut according to Prime Ministers?
1: No, but the credits were in order of yeah. Prime Minister, which See, I, thought, I, really, I thought that was yeah, I really
2: thought inspired. that was great, yeah. 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 But yeah. I, I would have actually liked to have seen the whole thing cut in terms of Prime Ministers. Mm. I thought that that was a bit of Miss opportunity, like a beautiful moment that came through that in the way they decided to organise the credits that didn't come across in the film. And I did feel it, um, it felt a little little muddled for me. So would that have yeah. helped it with the structure, do you think? I think that, yeah, there was not a really clear sight through the whole thing. And mm. it's really, it's a difficult thing to get when you're creating a collage and you're also working with found material, basically. Uh, so I, I get that, but they, it was a little bit too much of an explosion of century stuff without any, real focus for me. I
0: loved it for that reason though. Like I loved this so much. Mm. Um, I had so much fun watching it and can't wait to go back and do it all over again. It was just the one thing that really came through with this for me was that how much I love these Australian films! That, so it was nostalgia know, for you, definitely, one hundred percent. Especially mm. with the rage, the rage song at the start, all that kind yeah. of stuff. But there was also just all like the Queen's bicentennial speech. Just so many really cringeworthy, <laughs> awful things that have happened in our history where it's like, Jesus. So um But you even watch her speak and she's kind of dead horrible. in the eyes. Like it's, it's just <laughs> mortifying, isn't yeah. it? Mm. Oh, but um no, I absolutely loved it. I loved it for all of its, you know I love the Morris set fit in the car with Furiosa from Mad Max. It was stunning. But um yeah, it was great fun. I highly would go go see it again. Mm. Yeah, I really
1: I, I really enjoyed it too and um And I like the way that it's sort of... It's critiquing those sort of pop cultural cultural artefacts that we sort of hold up as creating the the cultural fabric of, of who we are, like building this tapestry of who we are as Australians, which is very thin, you know, and it's sort of... Peeking beneath that sort of thin veneer by sort of chopping them together in this really um, interesting way, and like you said, the narrative strands are admittedly all over the place. Um, but I thought this that was sort of effective too in sort of trying to rewrite a very unstable narrative of our mythologized history, um, and they do this with great humor. And there's a scene in particular uh, you mentioned, Skippy the bush kangaroo explaining why the mythical disappearance disappearance of ethereal white girls. Um, is much more interesting to us than the reality of the disappearance of Indigenous Australia, and I thought that was really cutting and great. So there's this really dark undercurrent to this film, um, much like our glossed-over history, you know. But the only time that this didn't work for me was when the filmmakers took footage from films that had already successfully critiqued Australia's racist culture, for example. Like yeah, that's a good point. Russell Crowe's mm. um, skinhead character from *Romper Stomper*. They interspersed that with um, shots from the Cronulla riots, and I mm-hmm. think. Mm. the film is at its best when it's making us question what we celebrate culturally and why and I don't think we ever celebrated Romper Stomper in that way,
2: you know. So yeah, I just yeah. sort of
1: thought that it, w- a, it was a strange, yeah. that was sort of strange elements to draw into the
2: film. I okay. totally agree with you there. I think that's good. I didn't articulate that, and, but you articulating it has told me that's what I wanted to articulate. Great. Great. <laughs> <laughs> that was very good. Good. Maybe um, you can do the same yeah. for me later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's better working in a more, uh, using footage in an ironic way. Yeah, yeah. totally, totally. Yeah. But
1: their approach, which, you know, has its roots in electronic music, Music. So they 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 done stuff with um um the, the 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 group that does the the pastiche mixing of music. Oh my god, Avalanche, Avalanches. Yeah 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 yeah. yeah. And, and <laughs> in the in the past, and that was you know really it worked really. It's a it's a good symbiotic kind of relationship that they had with them. So that's this aesthetically, I find this really exciting and interesting. And it's like and it's like a very meta post postmodernism or something. You know, like mm. it's drawing on other texts while drawing on other. I te- I just think that was. There's something really refreshing about this.
3: That, that said, it's drawing on Collar's traditions in its own right, too, because there have been other filmmakers, especially uh, Americans, who come to mind who've used found footage to critique the governments of their times as well. So, whether it's Craig Baldwin or Bruce Connor, dating back to even the late 50s with Bruce Connor and the Cold War era, even in this little fear of uh, the. Uh, when was the Bay of Pigs exactly? When was that whole business? Cuba? Oh. Early 1960? 60, yeah. So that's 1960? Uh, that, that okay. period and just this, while, while nuclear, uh, well, actually we're there again now. This has all come full <laughs> circle. I, I noticed Craig Baldwin getting a shout out in the credits rolling at the end, just the thank yous. I guess he was probably some sort of uh, long distance indirect mentor, but he's someone who's for a long time taken found footage, never asked permission, just <laughs> done whatever the hell he pleases with it and put it out there. Typically not for profit, I believe, probably entirely not for profit. That's really almost the only way you can get away with making something like this because you just yeah. can't go around asking for permission for all of this mischief, can you? Cause yeah, so I was wondering yeah. how
0: does that work with permissions for it because yeah. it would just be never-ending. That might be where
3: some of that 100000 went. Just yeah, okay. get a yeah. lawyer, quite a good one, and keep them occupied mm. for the better part of the year they had yeah, to, to make this and have it installed at Acme. The
2: hours would have... The, the hours to actually collate that material, though... Oh, my though, God. I was I first of all, decide in, yeah. what... I, I don't know where they would have started from in terms of their research because, you know, surely they don't... Um, you know, I'm assuming they wouldn't have that much of uh, historical... They're not historians, let's mm. put it that way, and they're not old people who've been, you know, seen old a people. lot, well, you know, they haven't been watching four decades of television or anything like that. So, you know, there, there would have been a hell of a lot of work in order to try and find different cultural touch points. Not just not not just it.
1: the research but the, the editing process itself because yeah. sometimes I felt it was so seamless, um, you know, putting Pauline Hansen against a, a bikey gang and I loved, I just thought... I just thought it was a remarkable feat in um, editing and superimposing. I actually don't know what the process is that they use... To create this film, um, and at times like it does look have a student film quality, but I really enjoyed that too, yeah, and I, too. I and I enjoyed there was some sort of stark um, contrasting colour palettes, which were a clear decision, and I liked that too. It really lent to that collage style. I think that
3: goes with the colour grading of various <coughs> sorts of films and various sorts of stock that have mm. come to us in various uh, states of. Um, some of disrepair, but just the quality of, of digitized films of different eras can vary so wildly. And I think it's probably a pointless task trying to grade it all so that it all looks exactly the same. It's nicer <laughs> that that it's a bit jarring, and you you get a bit of um, the playfulness. Is, is I think it's actually more effective than actually trying to ask you to suspend any disbelief and think, mm. okay, there's Tom Berlinson, the man from Snowy River waving to was it Heath Ledger? Yeah, Heath Ledger. yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean, nice little eyeline matches, but that, that's enough. Yeah. You don't actually have to make that footage look like it's from somehow the same um, uh, narrative universe. It's no. it's lovely. It's just it's, I, I like the collaginess being collagey.
1: Same, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed inhabiting, inhabiting that world for a while and I enjoyed the interjection of political speeches, um, or, you know, put onto classic characters or iconic characters throughout history, I think, but... Yeah. Um, uh, Tony Abbott's speech and John Howard's um, famous speech in, I think, 2002 or something about um, b- boat people um, yeah. it, it is now placed on a Mad Max film and, and I, I thought that that was all, you know, it bled it it well into our anxieties as a culture and I thought they did that really effectively. I think it's interesting that we're talking about this film following the Mary Magdalene one, which is... Um, you know, all about these sort of retelling of old stories, and and I think you know the Bible is probably one of the oldest and most prominent examples of cyclical and multi-platform storytelling. Like how many gospel versions are there? Oh and, God, yeah. And I think this is this is a really interesting one too—a a retelling of our history and in, in such a. But it was way. it was
2: undercut by not having fully Australian footage in there. Do you think? But I felt yeah, yeah. The New Zealand stuff straight away because the piano was right Stuck at the start, mm. and I just went. Huh? It felt like that they, that, yeah, it really kind of threw the spanner in the works. And then kind of
3: the climactic um, scenes involved something, I mean, yes, European originally, but iconic black New Zealand, sheep, the sheep. Black yeah.
2: sheep as well is yes. very a it's really a very Kiwi film. New Zealand mm. film. And obviously they didn't want to miss that opportunity <laughs> to use those sheep scenes. Yeah. But still and I was looking at that going, that's black sheep. This yeah. is really um, actually this is really frustrating because Australia and New Zealand have very different histories and very true. different political approaches. Yeah, they could have made so more of footage
3: from Howling Three, the marsupials, yes, am exactly. I right? That
2: would have been amazing. Philip Mora. Yeah, like,
1: I, <laughs> I know I did, I grant you those films and also um, footage of Fledger from Brokeback Mountain. I don't, they, they didn't really belong here. Um, that said, I did like Waking Fright being in there because that was a film about oh, an totally. outsiders <gasps> Oh, no, you know, no, that's totally. that, that, yeah. that can
2: work as an Australian film. And me. that yeah, opening yeah. shot,
3: just the, the pan, 360 degree pan of
2: nothing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. even even if you're showing Don, Donald Pleasance, it is still in us, you know, and the Rue shooting and all that sort of thing. It's very Australian.
1: Yes. Um, well, Tyrann Alias, t- 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 if you are interested, is currently screening daily on the hour, every hour, as Cerise said, in Gallery 2 at the Australian Centre for the Moving Image, a.k.a. ACME. Um, it's a free exhibition on until July 1st, so I'd urge you to get down there if you can and experience it for yourself.
0: Three, triple.
1: Our final film up for discussion tonight is The Endless, a lo fi American indie thriller that follows two brothers who receive a cryptic video message inspiring them to revisit the UFO death cult they escaped a decade earlier. Hoping to find the closure that they couldn't as young men, they're forced to reconsider the cult's beliefs when confronted with unexplainable phenomena surrounding the camp. As the members prepare for the coming of a mysterious event, the brothers race to unravel the seemingly impossible truth before their lives become permanently entangled with the cult. Uh, written and directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, whose previous collaborations include 2012's Resolution and more recently, Spring. In one of many twists, the co-writer directors have also cast themselves in the lead roles of brothers with their own first names, Justin and Aaron. Aaron Moorhead also doubles as a duo cinematographer. This is truly resourceful DIY cinema. Uh, the Endless devises an elaborate supernatural premise on a minimal budget. What did you think, Sally? Did they pull off their arguably ambitious premise?
0: People really love this film it's getting like really they're really into it Mm. i unfortunately am not one of them (laughs) 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 i am a big fan of genre cinema and i think that we've had some great releases in the last few years like raw the invitation and this just didn't cut the mustard for me um it felt like nothing new and I also, it felt to me their research into kind of cults and what they're trying to communicate Kate sort of felt quite lazy, like they've picked the most obvious one. Heaven's Gate, we'll put some of that in there, and it just, yeah. Sally knows cults. I do know cults.
2: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> let's and ask her about that after the show. <laughs>
3: no, no, let's ask her now. <laughs> this
2: is the it's perfect
3: perfect for some forum.
0: Interesting, yeah. interesting, right? Just you and us. But <laughs> even um, them having a H.P. Lovecraft quote at the start. Made me feel like I already knew a lot of what was going to happen in it. I think that you know took some suspense away from it. Um, yeah, there's. I had high hopes for this, and I didn't love it at all.
2: Mm. We we talked about this on Plato's Cave very briefly last year during um, Mif, MIF. Yep, because I played there. Were you on that show, Cerise? I, I can't honestly remember. can't remember, remember
3: either. I think it, <laughs> we it do cover c- a lot of shows. Came up uh, well, if, it was, if it was during MIF. It was one of those shows where we briefly covered about twenty to thirty films and trying yeah. to account for the Behemoth that is the Melbourne International Film Festival. Yeah. So I don't honestly remember, but I do recall Alex being extremely enthusiastic she about was. this. Yeah, mm. yeah,
2: yeah. I have a feeling it may have been Alex and Tara that were on the show. And that I feel that that was probably a friendlier cave <laughs> to this film. Uh at the time I didn't say I've I've kind of um changed my mind after watching this again um, and watching Resolution, the film that come not directly before but did come before this one that this film references quite heavily has anyone else seen resolution
0: i haven't and i know that our producer faith said that that does add to the story of this one but yeah i haven't it's seen. So
2: th- i think the idea me. is that you you don't need to see resolution but and i hadn't seen it i found that the people that really enjoy this including alex have seen resolution before they've watched the endless and um in i had it when i watched the endless and then i was like mm, yeah it's it's clever i wanted to really like it Me too. i think more than anything i wanted to really mm-hmm. like it but then in rewatching it there are massive chunks especially toward in the the second half of the film that refer to um characters <coughs> in the first one the wife who was looking for her her husband that guy chained to the bed at the end and that has kind of quite a long or almost um like um, Monologuish kind of dialogue going, which I think that if you don't if you can't contextualise it with the first film, you kind of zone out mm. really and that's that's a problem with it. Maybe they've become, they've kind of created their own little filmmaking cult where they're talking to a specific audience and their audience and their audience really loves them and that's where this film kind of comes well, from.
3: Well, I haven't seen any of their previous work. I remember people telling me that Spring was good and... Um, so I came came at this with little sense of what it would be, and I was actually really I really got into it. You and did, um, yeah. yeah. And I was aware that there were things that, that there were there were narrative threads that were not followed through on, and I just took them as red herrings as the film began to to make sense. Because uh, there's a there's a point in, in the film, without wanting to go into spoiler territory in the slightest, where it, it actually finally shows you what's. What, what's actually at stake in this narrative, that it's not simply about two brothers who are uh, just going for a little day trip back to a cult they escaped ten years ago. Go for a jolly little day trip to it. Let's just uh, go
2: and stay one night. To and something come on, man, that's right. come on. And, and, that,
3: but, and it actually goes into some really high concept territory and some stuff that's actually interesting in terms of matters of space and time and... Um, uh, and yes, there is still a, a cultish thing in there, but that, it's interesting how that became quite secondary. Whilst the 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 premise, and I, I sort of mean the conceptual premise, is is teased out in different ways, and and you get a sense of the jeopardy that these characters are actually in. Mm. And I, I I really was drawn into that, and I think it's partly because it took some time to to actually. Uh, have some depth to some characterizations, especially the sort of de facto cult leader, um, Hal. Hal, mm-hmm. yeah, really charismatic without being uh, sort of weirdo charismatic, like that charismatic, you know, big-eyed sort of cult leader that people. Joaquin.
2: Joaquin, much Joaquin, more Joaquin. than Waki. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, much more charismatic <laughs> er, er,
1: er, than Waki. <laughs> it's actually a really
3: nice performance. It's quite restrained. There's just something a little off about him, and there's something very demonstrably off about one or two of the other. <laughs> <laughs> folk at the camp. But it's just, you know, I found this enjoyably unsettling. There's some nice um, fish eyed uh, mm. cinematography where the, the fish eyedness seems mm. to vary as the camera pans around a bit and it just makes all the space sort of shift around slightly in a slightly just unsettling way and uh, I, I enjoyed that and so I, I actually let this cast a little spell on me and then I was quite satisfied with how it ended because there's, there are various ways that could be read and I enjoyed chewing over the possibilities <laughs> as I drove home or at least thought I was heading home and God knows where I actually am now.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> a little it. reference to the film for those who haven't seen it. It's
2: very, it's <laughs> We've very, done this before. Very <laughs> high, high concept and it is, yeah. it, you know, it's very existential. Same with um, resolution so they're they're obviously teasing out a certain theme, yeah. Um, which yeah 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 kind of works. Well, kind of I works. think given given that such low-fi budget, it's an indie film. I, I
1: like that they've. I like it when filmmakers attempt to be so high concept on such with such constraints, and I yeah. like to see what you can do as a filmmaker. You know, given those parameters, and I think the cinematography, like it's all the 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 colour palettes all sort of um, lots of sort of um, burnt you know yellows and ochres and greys and and that could be a little bit bland but they sort of effectively make it foreboding, I felt, anyway. And I thought that the um, good use of lighting and um, great sort of in-camera effects like the fisheye and also just sort of simple things like a a, a character walking to camera and then a tree um, toppling in the distance behind him, which wouldn't be too hard to pull off, you know, um, but it is really effective. And I I just loved that. I found that really um, invigorating as a filmmaker because I thought, oh, this is something that I could do, you know. Um, There was some great use of... um, some some birds, you know, digital projections of birds over the scenes that that, that were simple but I thought were quite quite affecting. I, I did think that it lacked – those things were all great. There was some use of smoke and dust and stuff. It did sort of lack artistry though, I felt. Like it was a little bit sort of bland. It sort of played the same note the whole way through. Um, yeah,
2: uh, I, I agree. I found yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I like. I found the cinematography quite uninspiring, mm. and and I thought, is this because it's low budget? And then I thought about other things that I I've enjoyed, and something like an indie film like Pontypool, that Canadian film, which was about the zo- <laughs> the zombie disease that passes through the airwaves. People, get ready. That's all set in a radio station, and was so much more effective in you know in look and and even effects look i did enjoy the the effects get, don't get me wrong yeah. i did think that they used very simple then the looping um ideas were quite were quite creepy mm. but the overall aesthetic yeah. yeah wasn't really great and in this day and age really we have you know, ch- the equipment's cheap. You, you know, you can do something that's quite dynamic. Yeah, even in the edit, uh, you know. You just exactly. Cut, a, quick, a quick cut can be quite
1: effective. which Yeah, is, yeah.
2: Yeah, which they did do that. But, but I agree with like you. They like their dialogue. Look, Justin, yeah, Justin yeah. Benson, who writes, I think is a little bit too precious with his dialogue and maybe thinks it's all a bit more cleverer I, than and, it is. And
1: funnier than it is. I yeah. don't know how many times they said, they said, you know how culty that sounds? Like I was trying to be yeah. sort of self-referential and hilarious. Yeah. And I was like, no, stop saying culty. Like they said culty
2: like 20 yeah. times. Yep. The and film. there was a weird kind of lighthearted joke at the start that was involving um, help cutting his or uh, shaving his head, which I thought was... Mm. Oh, that's a bit corny. Oh, that was- <laughs> that's
1: <laughs> yeah. right. There was another thing at the start of the film which I thought, oh, this is interesting. They were sort of drawing on theatre staging and there was this um, – Flashbacks. There was these sort of flashback scenes becoming flash-forward scenes to present time. You probably don't even remember it because it happens at the start and then it's just sort of dropped as if it was from a previous cut of the film that they accidentally left in. <laughs> it's where um, they're, the, they're talking to a filmmaker off camera, the two brothers, about this event. But we never go back there. It's uh, very strange. do we? <laughs> or do we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's very odd. And I just thought, but I liked that. I liked that setup. Um, it, they sort of break the fourth wall a couple of
2: times. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then just sort of n- they co- know it. But the performances are excellent. Yeah, they uh, are I good. think that's yeah. really notable. They And their other film, or at least the other film I have seen, was very strong in performances as well. I,
0: don't know, I didn't feel like I really bought into the relationship of the two brothers. Um, the older one, you know, sort of making all these decisions. And it's kind of. Came across, obviously, he's damaged, he's been in a cult, et cetera, et cetera. But to the extent that he was being babied by his older brother, it just, yeah, it didn't come through for me. But, yeah, their performances were good. And also one thing that I did particularly like about it is I thought the sound design, it was really nice too. Mm. The sound design. Yeah, Yeah. it had a
1: very 80s um, Stranger Things vibe. Mm. It's nostalgic again, I think.
0: Well, there was a lot of uh,
3: media within the film that was of a retro flavour too. And I think even in the cinematography actually accomplished a bit of that. It's a bit of a lo-fi look. It's it's mm. soft. A lot of the imagery, I actually quite liked the aesthetic of the film. Mm. It, it worked for me. Mm. Um, if I saw it again, I might think quite differently of it. Maybe I have seen it again. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know how many Maybe times I've seen this film. I'm <laughs>
2: watching it right now. It's... <laughs>
3: <laughs> Don't want to rule that out too soon, folks.
1: Well, I think I'll, I'll wrap it up because I'll play a song from that film to to play us out. Um, uh, so tonight we discussed Mary Magdalene and The Endless, which we just discussed, which both are currently on limited release at good local independent cinemas um, and Terra Nullius, which is currently screening daily Monday to Friday on the hour every hour in Gallery 2 at the Australian Centre for the for Movie free, Image for, for free. Free. Um, free yeah free, it's on until free. July 1st <laughs> yeah get down there check out the ACME website for details on that one um, you've been listening to Emma Westwood, Cerise Howard, Sally Christie and me Lisa Kovacevic the podcast version of the show is edited by Faith Everard <laughs>
2: This has been a
0: podcast from 3 rr 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website
3: at rrr.org.au.